You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt. And I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to those who bring all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines to us. And in this way, help us to connect to the great rich legacy of our ancestral helping spirits, those humans who were here before us, who met the challenges of their time, who brought their gifts forward, who struggled with the very many of the same things we struggle with now, and found ways to be in the world with integrity and impeccability, with great heart and innovation. And so we call out to these ancestors to be with us here today and to help us to do the same, to help us to show up for the issues of our own time, to discover in ourselves, in our own heart, the medicine that is needed for our world and to have the courage to bring it, even where that causes discomfort or challenge in our own lives. Let us bring it for those who are coming. And so as these human ancestors gather round us, simply for the act of us calling, let us reach beyond the humans and recognize that we are not the only living things here and reach out to all of the great web of life who were here long before there were ever humans and will be here long after. We call out to all of those ancestral energies that are not in human form. And we ask you to help us to remember our own true nature, to be less attached to our form and more aware of our true essence and to let our essence flow through in our actions in each day. We ask these energies of many, many different forms in the great diversity of life all around us to help us to appreciate beauty wherever we find it and to open ourselves to finding it in more places. And so as we call out to these helping spirits in their many forms, these ancestors going all the way back to the beginning of life on earth, we call these energies in, ask them to be with us here today, and then we shift our awareness to our own energy. And we take responsibility now to call ourselves in from wherever we might be, drawing our energy and awareness into our mind and from our mind down into our heart and from our heart down into our belly. And in this way, we call out to our own spirit. We take a moment to reach down to the energy of the earth, to touch that energy and take a moment for gratitude, a moment to give thanks for all that the earth has offered you from the moment that you arrived. We give gratitude for the enormous generosity in this dreaming that allows us to change anything as long as we are still breathing. We give enormous 
gratitude to the earth for diversity and beauty and for the intricacy and the interrelationships of the ecosystems around the world. And may we learn to be with each other with such grace, such intricacy, and such harmony to find balance, to lose it, and find balance again. May we learn from those elders around us how to be here in form in a good way. We give enormous gratitude to the earth for these teachers that stand all around us, everywhere in every day. We give that gratitude as we begin to send our energy down, down through all the layers of the earth, reaching down and offering our gratitude out, reaching down, offering our gratitude out until we reach the very center of the earth. And we take a moment to ground ourselves firmly there, to connect into those energies that draw their power and presence and grace from darkness, from relief, from the shelter that we find in the shade on a hot day. That energy that allows us to be restored and refreshed when we were hot and parched and draw in that first gulp of clean, clear water. This feeling that we have that comes to us from sleep, from stillness, from meditation, from silence. These human experiences all draw that energy out of this deep elemental energy in the center of the earth. And so we call this energy up, drawing it up into ourselves, into our day, calling up refreshment and rejuvenation, replenishing energy, nourishing energy. We call these energies in and help them restore our sense of who we are and why we're here, where we stand what is worth standing up for in life and let us build our own life on those things that have that quality of heart and meaning and as we build our sense of home and belonging and groundedness on these energies let us remember that it is just too simple to open our doors only to those who look and act and sound like us And let us do something in each day to open ourselves to those that are different than we are. And to listen, to learn to listen. And let that which is different from us provoke us to grow and to become the men and women we could truly be in this world. And so as we draw on the energy of the earth to help us to understand how to come into better relationship with ourselves, better relationship with each other, with our environment and with the invisible world. We give enormous gratitude to this energy and begin to draw it up from our belly to our heart, our heart to our mind, reaching up and out through the sky, out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos, reaching for the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you know this energy that is radiant and sweet, this energy that is divine and shines down on all things equally, However it is that you know this energy, connect with it. Invite it into you and invite yourself into it. Become one with this energy and draw this energy down. Down into your day, calling in blessing and protection. Down into your life, calling in the energy that supports commitment and devotion. That which brings us inspiration and illumination. 
that which inspires our innovation and creativity. We call these energies in, into our head, our heart, our belly, and draw them down to the center of the earth. And in this way, we open ourselves to be that beautiful meeting place of these two great legendary lovers. This earth and sky energy that in their great love have given birth to all that we experience here as form. Now may this big love inspire the spirit of your own heart to awaken. And as your heart awakens, may you bring that crucible of transformation that lives in the heart online and draw up the fiery passions that are your reason for being here and call down that crystal clarity, which is your ability to innovate and understand how do I do this in this world, in my time. And to let these energies mix and merge in your heart and give birth to that third and most sacred thing, which is some sense of why you are here. What is your purpose? What is your calling? What is that energy that is your gift to bring to the world? And may you find some courage in that heart to do something in this day, large or small, to make that gift a reality in the world. And for all the spirit help that every single one of us has to do precisely that, to make our gifts reality, we give thanks. May what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard and may these proceedings go forward for all in a way that is good for all living things. I want to give special thanks to Julie and Marianne, Robert, Patricia, Emil, Hannah, Xander and Brian and Wellness Escapes in Vietnam. I give gratitude to all of you for donating to the show financially and supporting the show. For those of you that are listening for the first time, Why Shamanism Now is and has been for many years listener supported. And it is only because of the donations of people like you that we remain on the air and that the archives, which are now about 400 hours of podcasts, um, uh, that all of this remains free for those who can access it through the internet. So I give enormous gratitude to you all for that support. If this show moves you in any way, even if it's not to a happy place, I invite you to recognize that you have been moved in the heart. And please do that most fundamental of shamanic actions, which is to allow that which moves your heart to motivate your actions in the world. And understand that you can go to whyshamanismnow.com, especially for those of you that get the show off iTunes, that we have a website. And on that website, you can go to support, scroll down. You can donate any amount, large or small. We are not expecting people to donate $5,000, but it wouldn't be unreasonable for 500 of you to donate 10. And so we give great gratitude for those of you who are able to support us financially. And we give thanks for those of you that support us in other ways. There are many ways to support the growth of the things that matter in the world. And I give gratitude to you all for doing the actions in your life that help the show to grow, that help these teachings to take on a life of their own in your own life. And for those of you that send in your questions from engaging with this work and help us uh, as a group of contemporary people to understand how to apply shamanic skills with integrity to our contemporary life. And for this collective journey and all of you on it with me, I give great thanks. So today I would like to write a small wrong. Um, about three weeks ago, July 3rd, I offered a show that promised case studies 
But I got so carried away in talking about shamanic healing as an actual thing um, and talking about that in this, in this current climate that I didn't really get to any case studies. And I have to admit, they're not so much extensive case studies as they are snippets of real um, experiences with contemporary people engaging in shamanic healing as it was defined in part one of this uh, two-part series. So, as I said, part one was July 3rd, for those of you that need to go listen to it now. And I offered the argument that shamanic healing is actually a clearly defined type of healing. This is the point, as far as I can see, that seems to always be left out of the arguments around who gets to be called a shaman, what is actually cultural appropriation, and other extremely important topics for us to discuss, but they're frankly no longer discussed in any meaningful way. It's just a lot of yelling at each other via social media. And so in summary of that first show, I offered the idea that there is a thing that we could call small s shamanic healing because shamanic healing itself is actually a definable thing, right? And that those of you who are not doing that thing shouldn't call it shamanic healing was the other half of the point of that show um but the point just in summary is that it is a clearly defined type of healing that people are doing in some parts of the world precisely as their ancestors did and this is a a important part of understanding are you behaving in a way that is appropriation because The fact that people are doing it as the ancestors did it means, you know, shamanic healer is not an empty parking space nobody's using anymore, that you can just park whatever you want in, that it is an actual precise thing. It's also important to know if you are in the practice of this small s shamanic healing, that there is large s shamanism. There is this shamanism that comes out of Siberia and there is shamanic healing as defined by these people of northern Asia, these Tunga-speaking hunters and reindeer herders from the Altai Mountains of Siberian Russia. So there's a place that this word originated and these practices originated and that this uh, definition of this type of healing and what we call it comes from that region and they are not the only peoples on the planet that practice this type of healing. And so this is the complexity of any sort of useful conversation that we would have about what is shamanic healing and who's doing it. So anyone who is doing it, it is also important to understand deeply the practices of people who went before you. In other words, it is really cool. It is an amazing experience to go experience indigenous practitioners in their own environment doing their work as their ancestors did. And what we should take from that blessing of being able to be with that is a deeper understanding of how someone practices. We should not take the practices. What that should give us is clarity about a whole bunch of questions we need to ask here in the Western world, to reignite our own shamanic healing practice. And this is part of the larger conversation, I think. But 
that was show number one. So I'm going to move on now to part two. So what we need to understand if we're talking about shamanic healing is that we are talking about um, shamanic healing that begins with an altered state. And I don't mean just the kind of altered state that any good healer gets into when they allow an energy larger than they are to move through them in their practice. We're talking about specific uh, altered states or alternate states, one called we tend to call now journeying, which is the practitioner having the awareness of their journey self or their dreaming self sort of leaving ordinary reality and moving into the energetic world or the invisible world where they meet their helping spirits or entering a different kind of alternate state, we would, we would call embodiment, where we are inviting those same helping spirits to come into our body here in ordinary reality and move through us in actions we're taking here. And so the first piece of shamanic healing is that the practitioner is engaging one or the other or both of these states because in any practical shamanic healing session, a practitioner could actually end up moving between them. Okay. The other thing that makes it shamanic healing is that the practitioner is taking an action in the invisible world that is affecting a change here in the physical world. So for example, moving into non-ordinary reality to locate, to, to literally locate in this energetic realm the energy of the soul part of the person who is the client, essentially, negotiating that return and physically grasping that energy, bringing it back into the physical world and placing it in the physical body of the client. So that action that is taken to change is, is one example of an action taken in the invisible world that has a direct effect, a direct felt effect here in the physical world. And the art really of shamanic healing, shamanic ritual, shamanic ceremony is the ability to take those actions in the invisible world in a way that accurately creates the thing we're looking for here in the physical world. And that thing that we're looking for here in the physical world is actually aligned with what is good for all living things versus just doing what the humans want because we all know how well that's working, right? Okay, so the third part that makes it shamanic healing is that the practitioner is divining constantly or learning what to do from the spirit help. Um, and I'm using spirit help in quotes here. It's just a catch-all word to um, address the many different kinds of helping spirits and other types of spirits that are not technically helping spirits that will show up and work with us in these shamanic trance states. And so all of this is very, um, I want to say tight and tidy. I mean, it's it's a range of healing modalities that can be accessed 
by doing these things, entering these alternate states, moving the energy in such a way that is being guided by the helping spirits. And these things are all part of what makes it shamanic healing. Um, and so in, and in particular, it is direct contact with spirit. So that makes it shamanic healing. So what is so problematic for me is someone who is conducting ayahuasca ceremonies, for example, here in the United States. And they are not, and they're American. They have no lineage to the people that work with ayahuasca. And so they've perhaps learned something, right? But when I ask, so who are the helping spirits that you work with as someone who's conducting ceremony and bringing people into relationship with the ayahuasca spirit, which is a big spirit, right? Who are your helping spirits? Who do you work with? And they don't. It's very – that it's not shamanism then. So then to be conducting what is a fundamentally shamanic ritual without actually – having your own a re, working relationship with your own helping spirits is highly problematic. So this is this is the level I wish our conversation would get to. It's really understanding what the mechanics of shamanism actually are. They're not just mystical and woo-woo and and not understandable. It's actually incredibly practical and repeatable. In so anyway, um, to not get distracted by show number one and continue with show number two. Okay, so let's move on to the case study snippets. Okay, so from a shamanic perspective, so so if we're we're accepting now for the duration of this show that there is a thing called small s shamanic healing, it is defined by those three qualities, and these are the things then that you can do in that range of shamanic healing, small s shamanic healing. Okay, so first off, you need to understand, just as to understand Chinese medicine, you need to understand a very different way of looking at the body and health and well-being from allopathic medicine in the West. It's a very different perspective. And you can really only understand what the treatments are in Chinese medicine, if you look at it through that perspective, they don't really make sense outside of that context. So similarly, with shamanic healing, small s, shamanic healing, the practitioner is looking at the client um, from the perspective that the person, a human, is a small energy system that exists inside a much larger energy system that is very complex. And that energy system includes both ordinary reality, physical world, and non-ordinary reality or the invisible world. And so that is true for the larger energy system and the small energy system of the human. But shamanic healing is looking at the physical health and well-being, the emotional health and well-being, the mental health and well-being, and the spiritual health and well-being. It's not only energy medicine. It is not only one thing or another. It is looking at the person and the health and well-being of all facets of a human. And so it's not making a distinction between – I mean it – okay. It's not drawing a line 
of separation between the physical aspects and the emotional or mental or spiritual aspects, which are frankly invisible to us. It's seeing this whole energy system operating as one big system. All right. So within that, then what they're seeing is that this little energy system exists uniquely in the larger system because it has a purpose. It has a soul's purpose or a unique gift, a unique genius to bring to the world. And so healing is relative to what needs to happen for this human to do what they've come here to do. It's a critically important motivating factor in shamanic healing. It's not just what does this person want to feel better. It is really about what does this person need to do to be able to do their purpose. And this is the reason that many aspects of shamanic healing, which is a healing event, it's not a therapeutic process. So it's not meant to make you feel better and grow better incrementally over time. It's meant to move energy around, to shift things for you. And that is why it is not always initially feeling good, often following even the steps of what appears to be a simple divination can move us into it what feels like and frankly even shittier situation than we're in in the process of getting through that into whatever is being um, painted as the possibility in that divination and so working with shamanic energies is not um always simplistic well it's never simplistic frankly i mean sometimes a cigar is a cigar but often the path to what we want is not purely a path of happy feelings but it is a path of actually coming to terms with things we've been avoiding coming to terms with for a very long time okay so back on point here okay so with all that said the practitioner is looking at one of two things. A shamanic healing, there is either energy present that should not be. It is either toxic or foreign to that little energy system. And it needs to be removed and either put back where it belongs, where it can be a healthy part of the life cycle, or it needs to be transformed. So that's energy out. The other aspect from a shamanic perspective is with this little human energy system here, energy needs to be brought back. There's something that's been lost along the way. It needs to be found, perhaps restored and brought back. And that's shamanic healing. Everything that fits in this range really defined as shamanic healing fits in that category. Okay. So with that said, let's go first to bringing energies back. Or retrievals. Okay, so this is about lost or potentially unknown energy. So the way I see it on both sides, either energy in or energy out, that we're looking at the way we retrieve, for example, if we talk now just about bringing energy back, different energy that has different levels of complexity. So the simplest retrieval is divination is simply bringing information in for the person. So one of the most shocking divinations that I ever did, mostly because I didn't believe any of it was true, 
I just reported on what I was shown and what I was told and left the session shaking my head, just thinking this is, doesn't make any sense at all. Because the person presented with very extreme food allergies. Anything off the list would send them practically to the emergency room or into psychosis. And um, they were down to that, you know, like three or four permissible foods on the list. I mean, it was really unworkable. It was unmanageable as a way of living. And so the presentation was very physical. The divination about what was actually going on was purely energetic, which I find very rare because our problematic choices are a lot of our problem. And it's always somewhere in the mix of what you're trying to change is just the fact that you need to stop making certain choices you're making. I mean, me too. It's just the nature of it. So anyway, what this divination revealed is that the person's energy body based on childhood patterns laid down, you know, family patterns that have been laid down and the way those unprocessed contemporary Western typical dysfunctional family patterns. And this was not special dysfunction. This was just typical garden variety American family dysfunction. But the way that those patterns had interfaced with the way she had been engaging in multiple ayahuasca ceremonies. And so she'd been engaging in deep shamanic work through the lens of this dysfunctional American family. And consequently, through well over 100 ceremonies, she had completely screwed up her energy body. It's like her, her energy body simply couldn't function. Thus, her physical body was starting to break down and right at that level of digesting food everything she was sensitive to everything because she was energetically sensitive to everything because her energy body wasn't able to function and so we followed the steps laid out in the divination to change her energy body and gave her practices that she needed to do to then reinforce the new pattern and stop the old pattern so she had several steps that were the prescription coming right out of the session and then she had to check in to get the next few steps and check in and get the next few steps. But by the time that was complete, which was probably about a two-month period, she basically had no food allergies. I mean, and, and I'm not saying that that's the solution to everybody's food sensitivity problems. That's not my point. My point is just that even the simplest divination if it is wisdom that is missing from how we need to live, can be a profound transformation. So divination is the simplest information, bringing information back. So the next aspect of retrieval, which many people don't think about, is blessings, is to bring in a blessing. And this was not something any of my teachers ever taught me, unfortunately. What I learned about blessings, I really learned from the ancestors and in particular from ancestral clearing. So in the process of helping some ancestors complete what is unresolved about their life and to clear their energy out and to clear the pattern that they laid down in the family line to do all that work, many ancestors are horrified 
to find out what they've left as their legacy for their descendants because there's actually something they very deeply believed in in their life. And often that belief or thing they sort of wanted to be known for takes the shape of a blessing that they can then hand down their family line as a way of restoring that which was set asunder by the pattern they unintentionally set in motion. And so a lot of what I've learned about blessings comes through the ancestors. And it's only learning that that I've then been able to begin to recognize the different aspects of traditional shamanic healing forms. For example, um, like curandera or dero work in Central America. There's a lot of blessing. There's a, there's a lot of blessings in a lot of cultures that are just kind of overlooked, I think, a lot by Westerners. And so bringing in a blessing for someone can be a profound healing in and of itself. But particularly if the person will then pick up that blessing and speak it and uh, work with it themselves. So, for example, this this uh, little case snippet is a person who had had a fairly complex session that had both soul retrieval and ancestral healing in it. And that is somewhat complicated. And that's kind of what I want to get to at the end of the show is the complexity of what contemporary people are dealing with now because we are so slow culturally in the Western world to fully embrace shamanism, shamanic healing to heal us, but also the tenets that underlay animism and shamanism and what it would mean to begin to embrace those ways of living in the world again, which would heal a lot as well. So we're getting – anyway, so it's getting complicated is my point. But back to the story at hand. Blessings. Okay. So there are many, many traditional ways of offering a blessing. One of the simplest places that um, I have often found the spirits offer it is when a parent, a mother or father, is worried about their children as they send them off to school or whatever and worried to a point where the worry itself is problematic. I mean it's – you can't be a parent and not worry about your children. I mean, obviously. But this was worry that was reaching an inappropriate amount, an inappropriate amount of energy starting to play out through inappropriate behavior. So very fear-based behavior starting to limit the children and their freedom to be kids because the parents so worried about them. And so one of the applications of a blessing is to work with the parent to craft the blessing that they want to offer their child each day leaving the house. And then to link then the next step is to link up that blessing to that parent's helping spirits. And to link up the blessing, the the manifestation of the blessing to the child's helping spirits. And then the next level can also be to link up the blessing and its application throughout the family to the ancestral helping spirits of the family. And so the point is just to put the blessing in place 
to divine the blessing, put the blessing in place, and then keep charging it with the and, – and all the charge, the power that's given to the blessing, come, it comes through those layers of spirit help being added in, but it's focused through the will of the parent. And it gives the parent the opportunity to exercise their free will to make a choice that is a powerful choice. And so they no longer feel powerless, which – helps them ultimately themselves to move out of the fear. So that's a really simple um, but profound solution to a very common problem, especially in today's world. Okay. The the version I was going to talk about was blessings coming down through the ancestral line. Okay. So here was this person who had had this complex and deep healing. They were pretty prepared for it. And so they found it surprising that while they were able to integrate the soul parts partially, the integration was getting stuck on being able to clear their own version of the ancestral patterns that had been cleared. But their clearing of the ancestral patterns had gotten stopped because a couple of their own beliefs were getting in the way of being able to make the changes that were were required of them to clear the ancestral patterns so that they could then freely and fully integrate the soul part energy back in. So they were stuck and they didn't understand why they were stuck and that's part of the problem with ancestral healing is is it is forcing us to look into our own blindness and so it can be um, problematic to see how we're stuck which is why it's important to speak to your practitioner and get help with it with that clearing of the ancestral patterns or colleagues that you can you know share as peers with anyway as i was listening to this person talking about First, they were talking generally about being stuck and having problems. And I say, okay, I get it. But specifically, what is happening? What are you trying to change and what beliefs are arising to stop it? Because this is the other problem we do as contemporary people. When we need to be specific, we go into these general patterns so that we can avoid the specificity and the pain involved in it. Okay. And the complexity sometimes involved in it. And then at other times – we refuse to see the pattern and just want to get constantly distracted by multiple versions of the same pattern. And so this was one of those places where the person was seeing it in these broad patterns instead of drilling down to the specific, I am taking this action to express myself fully, let's say, And every time I do, I realize this deep belief is rising up that if I express myself fully, I will die. And I know that's a kid pattern and I keep trying to do the clearing. I'm talking to my therapist, you know, whatever it is, but this sense of being stuck in this perpetual frustration machine. But as I listened to the details this person was saying at that level, what I heard were two parts of the blessing they'd been given. By the ancestors. The blessing had two parts to it. And these two parts of the blessings would directly defy 
the two beliefs that were coming up as the person tried to clear their ancestral patterns. But the person had forgotten about the blessing. And so I said, well, hang on a minute. And I just read the blessing again that had come through the session that I had in my notes. And the person said, well, what's that? And I said, well, that's the blessing you got from, you know, ancestor number two or whatever. And they just just stopped them in their tracks. And they said, I completely forgot about that. And I was like, how can you forget about that? We were both sobbing when we heard the blessing. And she goes, I know, I know. And so we talked then the whole rest of the time. We just talked about how could she use the blessing? What, what real concrete ways could she bring the blessing into her life? And so, I don't know, we came up with a lot of options. We came up with options at home, options at work, and options when she actually felt the beliefs stopping her again. And um, because she felt really stuck and she felt like she needed all of that. And what happened is that she found that actually all she needed was to set the day with the blessing. And all she needed was to remember that the blessing had been shared and that it was being shared by her ancestors. You know, she, it was being, being put on her by her ancestors, this beautiful blessing, that all she needed to do was remember that when the two different beliefs came up. And she said, and, and that it didn't need all of these different ways of engaging the blessing. It just needed that one morning, that connection, and then the belief in it, the belief in the blessing. And so then this finally culminated in this issue that arose, and it, it actually was both beliefs were involved in why she couldn't clear it. I think it was because, if I remember correctly, it was because the pattern was being expressed at work where she didn't feel completely empowered to change everything she felt she needed to. So anyway, so these two beliefs lock in head to head. She feels completely stuck. And that's the moment that she just takes a break, goes out to the park, sits down and speaks the blessing, which by this point in time she's memorized, speaks it and speaks it and speaks it and watches this knot of these two beliefs tied into each other, just dissolving it was either unraveling or melting away. I don't know, but she had a very clear visual and she just kept speaking the blessing. And in a way, it's like becoming a fire hose and the water to put out the fire is the ancestral energy. But the blessing gives you that ability to direct that energy at the problem. And so she dissolved the beliefs. She found she was able to really finish up all the clearing of the ancestors. And then the integration of the soul parts was very quick after that. The, the rest of the integration was very quick after that because there was nothing in the way. And, of course, those two beliefs that were coming up in the clearing of the ancestral patterns figured in the issues with the two soul parts as well. So my point, again, is the power of blessings and receiving a blessing that has been divined for you and then using it as a way of re as a way of being a conduit for energies to come into your life and do that specific thing a mantra functions very similarly by the way i mean in this case they probably would be interchangeable anyway 
Okay, so that's blessings. So it either allows you to focus energy into your life or it gives or the repetition of the blessing allows you to reprogram your own brain or your own heart, the kinds of patterns that we get into in the kind of psycho-emotional patterning of our life. Okay. So there is another retrieval that generally these days gets written about as power retrieval. It's kind of the name that it's taken on thanks to the Foundation for Shamanic Studies largely. And what that really means is reconnection with your helping spirits. So power retrieval is about having somebody go into the journey, connect with your helping spirit, find out why it is you're not able to connect with them, which for the most part, for most contemporary Americans at least, is because you just don't bother. There's really nothing in the way other than your own ignorance about how to do it and not taking the time to do it. Anyway, so the point though is to connect with the helping spirit, to find out why you're not relating well with it and bring it back. And retrieve it. Retrieve that energy and reconnect it to your own energy system. So that you – and then the assumption is if you want to actually work with that helping spirit, you need to begin to cultivate that relationship. For people that are um, very challenged dealing with PTSD or um, big physical problems, a power retrieval can have a sudden – the feeling of a sudden influx of energy that is uh, a source of health, a source of love, a source of protection and safety, that kind of feeling. For people that are basically experiencing well-being, they may not necessarily notice a big change with the helping spirit coming back. With people who are experiencing what would be diagnosed as kinds of mental illness, what may happen is you may realize and having the power animal retrieved it simplifies the noise of whatever the mental illness is and allows a person to begin to recognize that this energy and this voice if you will is my helping spirit this is trustworthy these others are not and can help a person begin to navigate and find their way to be um in right relationship again with their own mind and how it works. Um, the next grouping of what can be retrieved in shamanic healing is a bit of a catch-all term that I use, which is simply energy retrieval. And it's kind of energy in quotes because this is the, the term that I use to speak to any energy being retrieved to a person, in other words, it was present in the person's energy system, it went missing, it's been found and it's being brought back. Okay, so if that energy is not a helping spirit or an actual soul part, then from my perspective, it fits in this category of energy retrieval. It's kind of like the drawer in the kitchen. You put all the utensils you don't know where else to put. I mean it's definitely a catch-all term. It's not a very diagnostic term. But it is speaking to um, – and I'll just kind of list this quickly and to get, move on here. But we can lose energies that are uh, meant to be resident in our chakras, for example. This usually happens – when we have an intimate relationship, I don't mean sexually intimate, I mean a close working relationship with a teacher 
um, which can be in art, it can be in some sort of esoteric teaching, but it could also be a coach if, if a child is an athlete or a young adult is an athlete. Any of that kind of relationship where there's a power differential and that you have a lot to gain from that person, so there's a lot at stake in the relationship, that can set up the potential for that kind of theft. It's um, really common with these popular cult spiritual teachers that they're in essence harvesting a certain energy from their followers, from chakras, different like the will or the power, their love, um, their passion, um, their life force. And so um, that energy needs to be found and negotiated to to be brought back and help the person understand how to integrate that and run that energy again. It can be um, another example that would fit in this category would be people can lose archetypal energies. And what I mean by that is I use archetype as um, what I call these core programs that teach us how to be in the world, that they are energies that are present in our world and they, the, the, Mother archetype moves through us as an individual human and allows us to understand how to mother. It also moves through mountain lions and teaches them how to mother too. So um, it's not – these energies are not necessarily limited to humans from my perspective. Okay. And so someone could – so the example I've shared actually many times on this show is the woman who lost the lover archetype. Because the fighting and love shared between her parents was so confusing and tumultuous and traumatic for her as a child that her own lover just said, I can't, I can't deal with this. And so the manifestation in her life was that she could get into relationships and she could get out of relationships in, in a very good way, but she couldn't stay in them. She didn't, not because she didn't want to. Or that she wasn't meeting good people to be in relationship with. She honestly didn't know how. It's like she got into the actual relationship and she just didn't know how to do it. It's like there was this fundamental program for how do you love? <laughs> how do you be in love? And she just didn't have it. And it really surprised me because I, at that stage in my practice, I really expected it to be a soul part. And she did have other soul parts that were lost, but in particular, she lost this archetypal energy. So another uh, energy on this would, list could be a shadow self, an aspect of your own energy that's been lost to the shadow. Technically, um, a dissociated self would fit here too, but they tend to slip over into the soul loss category for most people. Okay, so the final category of complexity of energies being brought back would be soul, fragments of your own soul that have gone missing. Now, there's many, many shows on soul loss. I'm not going to go into a long, long process here around soul loss and soul retrieval. Um, suffice it to say, though, that I actually believe that soul loss and soul retrieval in their true sense have not changed that much from the past. What has changed from the past is the culture the individuals are within, how quickly the soul loss is recognized and um, how easily, um, that's not the right word I want to use, how frequently 
traumatic things happen at the level that can create soul loss. So these days, traumatic things happen at a level that could create soul loss very frequently in the lives of contemporary Western people, much more so than in the past, in like a pre-contact shamanic culture. And so we, we have more moments of soul loss than in the past, but we don't lose as much of ourselves in the process. And so we adapt and carry on and sometimes experience soul loss again and adapt and carry on. And so because we have time to adapt, we can actually learn to live with quite a high degree of soul loss, which would have killed us in the past through a wasting disease. And so that, of course, explains a lot about contemporary life in the Western world. But to not get into that right now, this is why there's confusion about soul loss and soul retrieval, historically speaking, in the past, traditionally, and what many people are doing now. Now, another side of that contemporary conversation is there's a whole lot of people performing soul retrievals that shouldn't. They're not initiated shamans. They shouldn't be doing it, and they're not doing a good job. So, yes, that is a piece of the picture. But where it is happening well, part of what makes it different is just the context in which people are experiencing soul loss has changed. Anyway, the point is these parts can be found. The practitioner's job is to negotiate with them to return. Sometimes the practitioner also needs to restore or transform, begin the transformation of the soul part in some way, and then they get brought back and put back in the person's body. And the reason in my experience that I see the soul retrieval being different from anything else on the energy retrieval list is because what I observe with my clients, because I do my best to follow up with all of them, is that it affects us differently. The energies are different and you see that in how they affect us when they get brought back. And soul parts, when they come back, affect every facet of our being. The changes are not necessarily dramatic they can be but they're not necessarily they can be quite subtle but they are absolutely profound and permanent and that's just different than integrating any of the other energies so um wow i'm running out of running out of time here i just want to say we have to remember when we're talking about shamanic healing that even with retrieval work the work was often done on the land or in the community, not just with individuals. All those examples I shared were all individuals. Okay, so remember, all of these things apply to the land. All of these things apply to the community. Okay, so with energy removal, so that's the other side of shamanic healing where something has become present in that small human energy system that it needs to be removed. There's the same range of complex energy so at that level of there's always divination on this as well that there's some divination might be needed to understand what needs to be removed okay but once that's done the the correlation with a blessing is there are a lot of cleansings that are done in traditional um 
practices. I still remember one of the sweetest moments in when I was still practicing a lot in New York. There was a, a young man who came and we were talking about shamanic healing and he said, oh man, we never got a day off school. If we felt sick or bad, grandma would drag us into the kitchen and open the refrigerator, pull out an egg and do an egg cleansing on us. And so we never got out of school. <laughs> I just thought that was so funny and so sweet. Just the way many of the cleansing forms kind of get handed down in the family as the equivalent of kind of like over-the-counter shamanic healing where it's kind of like anybody can do it. So some cleansings are that simple, like the the taking a fresh egg and rubbing it over the body and, and calling the invasive energy into the egg. Okay, but basically the way to think I think about it is that a cleansing is what is needed when the energy is not highly organized thinking, self-cursing. Because when we start calling it self-cursing, which many people do, effectively that's what's happening. But whenever we say curse, everybody thinks, ooh, I can't do this. I need a practitioner to help me. And so it's actually very disempowering. That's what I'm noticing is people are are not taking responsibility for their own toxic thinking because somebody labeled it a self-curse. It's your thinking. You do have the power to change it. Okay, so there's cleansing which is a pervasive energy through the system, which the, the toxicity or the foreign nature of that energy could be any many, many different sources. The next place, kind of mid-range in terms of organization, would be something that needs to be extracted. So it's organized enough to be a thing that can energetically be grabbed and extracted and taken out. And... Um, Many shamanic cultures are are known for their sucking extractions where they're actually sucking the energies out. Other cultures, uh, other ways of doing it is with hands to reach energetic hands in. So obviously this is an embodiment state where the helping spirit is embodied in the shaman and moving through the shaman, using the shaman's body to do the extraction. So extractions are also part of energetically of the part of healing something we can name, like an illness or a tumor or something like that. You know, it's a thing that is foreign to the health and well-being of this person and their need to live their soul's purpose. Okay, and then the most highly organized energy that is problematic and needs to be removed would be something that would rise to the level of what we would call a depossession where it's a highly organized energy that has a function of some kind. Um, And that, and that requires, it's all really the same action. It just requires greater and greater spirit help to actually accomplish it. Um, What I wanted to bring into our conversation today is the understanding that the psychopomp work or the escorting of the dead, escorting of the soul from here, the realm of the living, to the land of the dead where they belong. That that traditional role of the shaman in some ways fits into this taking energy out perspective because it's looking at – this larger environment, the community, the land, the larger space in which the living are in and identifying the dead as foreign 
and needing to be put back where it belongs. And so a lot of what people are trying to depossess and feel like it's about curses and all of these things and getting all of these, you know, sort of gunslinging magic. Um, healing cures are really just dead people that are lost and need to be escorted to where they need to go. And then the person needs to understand the living need to understand why is that person hanging around you? Like, what do you need to change? So you're not attractive to dead people. And there are different reasons that one could be. And so psychopomp work is an extraction. It is, it is an act of moving an energy that is now foreign to this realm and putting it back where it belongs and that's another important part about removing energy. Now, granted, I was a Girl Scout, you know, leave your campsite better than you found it. But basically, we shouldn't just be dragging these energies out and tossing them somewhere, that they need to be transformed if that's the correct thing to do. They need to be given somewhere where they are actually the food supply for that thing that needs to have it, or they need to be put back where they belong because they actually belong somewhere where they are part of the system of life. And you have to be able to define divine with certainty the differences among these energies if you're going to go about pulling stuff out. And then finally, um, as this, this example kind of lapped over, there is doing extraction for the land and the community and healing the unresolved ancestral lines is also a clearing, is a way of removing the energy that is foreign and is in the way of people living their soul's purpose. All right. Well, once again, I've gone over just a bit. I apologize for that. So I give thanks to you all for listening. I give gratitude to the energy of our ancestors, our ancestral helping spirits in their many forms. I give gratitude to the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone. Have a good week.